Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 541st edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading from me on uh, Red Bull News Network, even though that is mostly on the New York Red Bulls. But don't worry, this show will remain as the show to talk about American soccer, period. Uh, chat room is open. Come on in and discuss amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer to the best of my ability. As we look ahead in this MLS season, I have to say that we haven't seen this in a while. I don't think we've seen it as jammed up as we have in the standings, especially... uh, especially in the Eastern Conference. I mean, what we are seeing right now in the Eastern Conference is a log jam that I wasn't even expecting to see. We have a log jam that has been unbelievable to see some of these clubs in the East really building up. And who knows what the finish could be towards the back end of the season. Of course, we're still early here. We're still in the middle of May. We have some matches this is in midweek coming up. But with Montreal, Orlando, Philadelphia, all tied with 20 points. FC Cincinnati, the Red Bulls with 19 points. That's first through five. New York City FC is in sixth right now with 17. Atlanta in seventh with 15 As of right now, the East is looking pretty good with that top seven clubs fighting for first place. D.C. United, Charlotte FC, they're not doing badly. Charlotte FC in their inaugural season, both of them 13 points, along with Columbus, even though Columbus looks like they're having some issues right now after a hot start. New England right now in 12 points in 11th. Toronto, Miami, 11 points each, 12th, 13th respectively. And Chicago right now in dead last in 10. But Austin FC, who had a hell of a hot start, starting to look like maybe cool off a little bit. LAFC in first place with 23. Dallas in second place with 22. They're really turning up the heat. Austin in third place, 20. L.A. Galaxy's Real Salt Lake, <coughs> excuse me, with 19 points. And then there's a drop-off as Houston, Portland with 15, Minnesota 14, Seattle, San Jose 10, Kansas City with 9, Vancouver with 8. And there you have it in the West. But, you know, Austin, I have to say, whatever they have done to start the season, Josh Wolf. That hiring looks like to be an absolute genius. You would think with Austin FC as last year's 
uh, expansion team coming in in their inaugural season in 2021 that they may have a hiccup to start the year. But, boy, have things have been rolling for them. They have been destroying their opponents left and right. And even though it's still early in the season, as I've said, who knows, maybe Austin can still get into a roll and reheat up and go into an attack. We'll see what happens. But, you know, as of right now, I'm just seeing and all you can really say is is that no, I understand MLS, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, match in, match out. You don't know what the situation will be depending on what's going on in that game. It's always a different type of season. The uncertainty and the parity that continues on uh, sometimes gives people an opportunity to say, wow, that is actually happening? That's it's unbelievable. Uh, you know, look, I mean, I think we would all love to see, you know, when you watch the Premier League, you know who's who. You know what Liverpool's about. You know what Manchester City's about. You know who the mid-table teams are. You know where certain clubs are going to be, and you know where they're going to go after a season is done with the relegation. So we'll see what happens moving on with this MLS season. Of course, let's not forget what's going to happen with CONCACAF Nations League group stage starting up this June. So there's plenty of time to go. But I want to talk about a certain American that once again is in the spotlight, good and or bad, in England. And we're talking about Leeds United manager at the moment, Jesse Marsh. There's a reason why Jesse Marsh was hired once Marcelo Bielsa was sacked, because the owner wanted to save the club from relegation. And at the same time, he wanted to make a quick fix. The truth of the matter is this. Truth of the matter is this. Jesse Marsh was inherited these players from Marcelo Bielsa. Marcelo Bielsa brought these players in. Jesse Marsh has not had a summer transfer window or a winter transfer window to make the necessary changes that he wanted to make. That moment already passed. So for Marsh to go out and do his best with what he has to try and keep this club, to keep Leeds in the Premier League, We don't know what's going to happen. As of right now, they are only a single point outside the relegation zone of the Premier League. And basically, he's going to need that final match of the season to get the full three points. He's going to have to work some magic to attempt to get a win. Because when you're playing some of these top clubs, 
in the middle of your schedule, there will be a moment that Jesse's going to have to learn this. We all know. You take on the likes of Manchester City, you're going to get destroyed. Liverpool, destroyed. Manchester United, destroyed. Arsenal, destroyed. Tottenham, destroyed. There will happen. And that's life of the Premier League. I think you know it and we know it. But then when you get pundits in the Premier League saying, well, maybe Leeds made a mistake. Maybe Leeds should have kept Bielsa. And if they do go down, at least you can sack him at the end of the season. What, what difference does that make? What difference does that make? Shall we say, go down with the ship and try your hopes to, uh, you know, fight in the championship to get back up and, prom- and promote yourself? Or do you want to go down with the ship and try fighting? And if you do go down, then at least you do it while fighting for that. What did it matter? I'll tell you why it matters. Because once again, where is Jesse Marsh from? The United States of America. And once again, the only person in England right now who has his back is Robbie Keane as a pundit on Sky Sports when it was Monday Night Football. And he talked about his time with the Los Angeles Galaxy. With his time with the Los Angeles Galaxy, learning under and being managed by Bruce Arena. And of course, before that, obviously with Frank Gallup, Canadians and American coaches, gave credit to American managers because... They know the game. But do you think that the other pundits listen to that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They won't listen. They'll never listen. Because Jesse Marsh comes from the United States of America. Look, you know, because we still call it soccer, fine, whatever. Because that's what was supposed to. That's what it comes from. It came from England. There is a magazine called World Soccer Publication. We don't mind calling it football. Hell, how do you think I even uh, talk about the ending of my shows? Enjoy your football. We can still say call it football. When I was a guest on BBC World Sport Radio with Carter Krishnire during the 2000 and 14 World Cup when it was in Brazil, I said football. And, of course, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the, the radio host was having a little fun with me, having a go with me. And it's fine. Having a lot of fun. Having a lot of fun. Why not? Expected me to say soccer. I said football. Big deal. But he had a little fun with it. So... All you can say is is this to these pundits in England. 
whether Jesse Marsh either saves Leeds from being relegated or if they do go down in the championship for next season and he stays, give him a full year and he'll show you why he is going to be a good and solid manager. But if you're already tagging him for failure, well, then what's the point? What is the point of allowing Jesse Marsh to go out and make an attempt to doing well in England? You know, it's really a shame when you have people going on Twitter and making outlandish comments, outlandish comments, to say that, oh, Jesse Marsh is crap. This American doesn't know what he's doing. This American does not look to be the man who should have been hired to manage this club in the great nation of England. And you know what? Called, we're not being given an opportunity. The club is giving Jesse the opportunity, not the pundits. That's what makes me mad. That's what makes me angry. That's what makes me really upset that we are not given an opportunity to go out and show what we are made of. Because that sounds like uh, uh, sack him now. Sack him now. No, you don't have to sack him now. You can give him that opportunity. You can give him that opportunity to go out and allow him to bring you glory. Once again, Marsh has not made any player transfers. He was not allowed to do anything during a window because the window already passed. Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So all you can really say is this. All you can really say is this. If you can give this man a fair shot, if you're in the punditry uh, division over in England, I say you would be mistaken with your comments. Give him that opportunity and let Jesse Marsh prove to you why. His tactics was exciting to watch because I watched them at Red Bull Arena. He won two Austrian Bundesliga titles, two Austrian FA Cup titles. It didn't work out in Leipzig, but you know what? Give him that opportunity because Jesse Marsh is on the rise and you have to believe in that and you must. All right, ladies and gentlemen, great show for you tonight. We're going to talk about the Open Cup fourth rounder uh, games, uh, Red Bull segment, of course. But uh, first things first, not able to come on live tonight. Uh, it is the uh, chief editor of SB Nation Soccer and 
the top man of Sounder at Heart, covering the Seattle Sounders, Jeremiah Ocean, in a recorded interview to talk about the Sounders winning the CONCACAF Champions League. And here is that recorded interview right now. Daniel Foyerstein here. Welcome back to the American Soccer Show. And I'm very glad to talk to this uh, guest today. Uh, he is the uh, head editor of the SB Nation Soccer Department, but he's also a part of the uh, Sounder at Heart site of SB Nation. Jeremiah Ocean joins me to talk about the great moment in Seattle Sounders history. And Jeremiah, welcome back to the show. It's been a long time, but you know what? What a moment for Seattle Sounders soccer. 67 plus, 68,000 plus strong at Lumen Field to watch that CONCACAF Champions League title being won. Yeah, it was, a, it was an amazing night. Uh, it was, it, it felt special then. You know, I have to admit that the, the fact that it comes in the middle of a season definitely has some, uh, creates like an odd effect. But it, it, was a, it was an amazing night and one that I think I'll probably remember for my entire life. It was, it was great to be there. I bet it was. I mean, look, we all know Seattle and the the entire Pacific Northwest is soccer-hungry, soccer-crazy and everything, but to see so many people filled up from the first row at the lower level to the top row of the upper deck was amazing to watch, and they got a great show against Pumas UNAM. Yeah, it was it was an amazing match, uh, or uh, it was a very good performance by the Sounders, uh, and and I think it actually added a lot to the atmosphere that there was a, a good number of Pumas fans there. It it added some bite to sort of the proceedings, and uh, you know it, it's something that I, I hope we get to be sort of a normal part of the American soccer experience, playing uh, highly anticipated, high high uh, stakes. Uh, international matches like that. Exactly. If I can ask you this, were you a little nervous with the two injuries that happened to Nuhu and, and Zhao? Because, you know, those two were very important to Brian Schmetzer's organization and as well as his tactics. Was there any concern that the Sounders may have a little less quality through the rest of the match? Or there was no concern whatsoever? No, I, I, for sure there was there was real concern. I mean, it, uh, when Duhu went down, I think you can kind of talk yourself into necessarily uh, the worst thing in the world. In part because it always promised to be sort of a like the Sounders knew they needed to score goals. It wasn't so and like obviously defense defense is part of it, right? But I think there was much more concern about the Sounders getting some goals than there were about them allowing goals. And so I think you could talk yourself into the new who won maybe not being as uh, big of a concern. But when Gal Paolo went down, I, I have to admit there was a, uh, a real thought of, like, just maybe this isn't the year. Maybe maybe MLS teams really are a curse. Maybe this, you know, the Sounders really didn't miss a beat after he went down. You know, time will tell how big of an injury that is to their hopes of, you know, winning other trophies this year. But in that game, they didn't. They ended up not really noticing the difference that much. And I think a lot of that is, is due to Albert Rusnak and Obed Vargas, who, uh, the 16-year-old who came in for him. 
No, absolutely. I, great job with the substitutions by Schmetzer. Uh, I've always enjoyed Schmetzer, even when the Sounders were in USL uh, League One at that time, uh, how he always managed the Sounders very strongly. Uh, I know he was a part of Ziggy Schmidt's uh, coaching staff when they came to MLS, but still, though, Brian Schmetzer, to me, has been an amazing manager for this Sounders team ever since uh, I've, I've ever seen him manage this club. He's so cool, confident, and calm, and very, very respectful as well, because all he cares about is getting his game plan out there, and he has executed it to perfection. During his time with the Sounders, you know, he, he obviously started in 2002. Uh, during his entire, you know, he hasn't been the manager, obviously, that entire time. But in those 20 years uh, that he's been involved in the, in the team, uh, they've only missed the playoffs twice. And, uh, and they've won, you know, they've won, they won four, or no, they, under, his, under his time there, they, they won uh, two league titles in the USL. He's got two in MLS, obviously. Uh, now he's got the Champions League. Uh, it's a, it's, I think his resume sits up there with the best American coaches of all time. And I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I can put him at the level of Bruce Arena, Ziggy Schmidt, Bob Bradley. I mean, his quality as a manager has been uh, exceptional, and it's been fantastic to watch. If I can ask you, Raul Rui Diaz, what a find he has been for the Sounders transferring him over here to the club. I mean, he's always there for big matches for the Sounders, whether it be in the MLS Cup playoffs, the MLS Cup final, uh, even now in the Champions League. He has been an amazing spark to this club. What can you say, or what more can you say about Raul Ruiz Diaz for this club? You know, it's been, uh, he's one of the, best number nine signings, I think, in MLS history, uh, and it's not just the, the volume of goals you've got, which you've scored plenty of, uh, but it's, as you sort of alluded to, he's, he's come up big in the Sounders' biggest matches. Uh, you know, he had two goals against uh, Pumas in the final, he, he had two goals against Toronto FC in the MLS Cup final in 2019, uh, and he's got, you know, he had three goals during this tournament, I think in the MLS play. No, I agree with you. Absolutely agree with you. Of course, Nick Ladero got that final goal to officially stamp it. What does this mean as a Seattle Sounders supporter and for the entire city of Seattle that has been soccer hungry to win and be the first club in, in Major League Soccer to win this Continental Championship, club championship, and now represent not only CONCACAF, but American soccer, somewhere down the road for that FIFA Club World Cup tournament? I mean, it's going to be exciting, that's for sure. Uh, I think time will tell what it, what it ultimately means. I, I'd like to think that this will be just another piece of, of, uh, of data that goes into the Sounders becoming even more relevant in this market. I mean, as you know... Soccer, even in Seattle, where I think the Sounders are more relevant in the market than virtually 
MLS team in their market, uh, they still struggle to uh, break through to the mainstream audience the same way that, you know, when the Mariners are good, you see the way that the city sort of, like, uh, rallies around them. Certainly when the Seahawks aren't, even when the Seahawks aren't good, uh, the, the city is very excited about them. And, uh, and you can see even things like the Sonics, who haven't been here now for the Sounders' entire MLS existence, they still have a lot of relevancy in this cricket. And I think you would be hard-pressed to say that the Sounders have completely uh, made a, like, have become more relevant than any of those teams, uh, even if, like, just the other day, uh, the Mariners blog, uh, Lookout Landing, wrote about how jealous they are of the Sounders, uh, but little ways, like, there's, there's a change going on, but I really do hope that this is sort of the thing that allows uh, the Sounders to break into, you know, like we've always, the Sounders have always struggled to reach the Hispanic market here. And, you know, we, see, we saw a lot of uh, Hispanic fans at this game. I would like to think that a lot of them will come away from it uh, feeling like the Sounders are a team they can support. And uh, so hopefully we, we see some of that change. And I got to tell you, I think maybe the change is coming. I don't know if you've seen this report or not. I forgot where it's from, but apparently it sounds like MLS is, or soccer is going to overtake the NHL as the top four sports in this country. And I know the Seattle Kraken just got started uh, this past season, but I don't know what's going to happen there. We'll find out. But, uh, I mean, I could see it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, Kraken, the, the Kraken sort of burst onto the scene in a way that even took me by a little bit by surprise. Uh, but they haven't been very good this year, which I think has really, uh, you know, lowered the temperature uh, quite a bit. And uh, where the where the five year where the Sounders in terms of you know a dollar uh, really when it when it comes down to uh, and and the Sounders are are certainly doing everything they can to uh, to show that they deserve that support on the field. Exactly, and I know that they will, and I know they're going to go forward and. That will continue on as the years go on. We'll see what happens. Um, I, I know you 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 look at the league as a whole at the same time. What do you think this does for Major League Soccer now? What extra um, you know credence does it give to MLS now that they finally have a club that has won this tournament after so many years and the, the change it went from a cup to a league? Uh, you know that's a, that's a good question, and I think that at the at, like on the on the base level, I think it shows MLS team that it is possible and that there is a point, right? Like I think a lot of teams have have set a, sort of been stuck between the idea that it's like sure we understand uh, philosophically why Champions League matters, but does our does our audience care? Do our fans really care? And I think the Sounders showed that, yeah, you know, it, it can be a mainstream event. It can be something that is on par with winning, winning MLS Cup in terms of the attention that it brings. And so hopefully it at least showed that other MLS teams have a reason to uh, commit real resources to trying to win this thing. Now, how likely are, are those efforts to bear the fruit of another Champions League title? I don't know. I mean, that, I think that is really a, uh, a time-will-tell sort of question because there was a bit of a perfect storm for the Sounders 
uh, to win this. And I think we have to we have to acknowledge that uh, this was not a year where the traditional big spending teams in Liga MX were in Champions League. Uh, the biggest spending of those teams was Cruz's duel, and Pumas thankfully knocked them out. So the Sounders never really had to go through one of the uh, current powers in Liga MX. That's one thing. Uh, the other thing was the Sounders set their roster up in a way that allowed them to have a true first-choice 11 ready to go uh, essentially at the start of the qualifying campaign. And that's not something that every MLS team uh, is able to do. You know, the Sounders had never really been able to do that before. They they, uh, had oftentimes got stuck between cycles of of building their roster, and so they didn't have, you know, three full DPs. Uh, As it was, the Sounders had the the fortune, and and to some degree by design, but I do think there is some good fortune here, that, you know, they had an established core of designated players and they were able to add an Albert Rusnak over the offseason who was already an established MLS player who, are, who was able to hit the ground running. And, and so I, I think there were a lot of elements that sort of worked in their favor, uh, another one of which was the way the schedule worked out where, you know, MLS worked with the Sounders to reschedule matches so that they didn't have quite the workload that they, that, uh, they would have in other iterations of this tournament that they have sometimes not had, uh, and Liga Mekis, as of now, uh, is not doing that for their team. I wouldn't be surprised if in the future they do start, uh, you know, like Pumas were coming off three months of playing basically two games a week, uh, almost all the way through. They were clearly a team that were worn down and tired. They weren't as deep as a lot of Liga Mekis teams are. And, I, and I, I mean, it's also, you know, Chivas was similar when they won in 2018, so it's not like the Sounders were uniquely qualified or uniquely advantaged in a lot of these ways. But point being, there was a lot of stuff that had to fall into place. Who knows when that happens again? Uh, you know, if it's, if next year the uh, the league MS teams in Champions League are Tigres and Monterrey and Pachuca and, uh, you know, other teams that are real, uh, like, real uh, gigantes right now, it might be a different story. So I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we'll see what what how this all works out. Exactly. And we'll see what happens down the road. Jeremiah, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. And I will talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. And congratulations as the Sounders are the 2022 CONCACAF Champions League winners. Thank you so much. And once again, that was Jeremiah Ocean from Sounder at Heart and the uh, chief editor of the SB Nation Soccer Department, uh, my former boss. <laughs> Very nice guy, uh, wonderful guy to work with. Uh, if you had a problem, he he's always there to help out and everything else. So just, uh, just a very, very nice guy, very professional. I have nothing bad to say about him, but obviously uh, – you know, this is a major moment for Seattle as they add on to the trophy case with the MLS Cup titles they've won, the four Open Cup titles they've won, a supporter shield, a couple of those, I believe, and now International Club Tournament trophy. And they're going to the CONCACAF FIFA Club World Cup once this regular World Cup is over with. Um, don't know when that will be. 
maybe it's going to start towards the back end of December and then go into January of 2023. It may all be in January or February of 2023. We're going to have to wait and see what's going to happen. But when after it does, the when the World Cup in Qatar is over with, we will see when that FIFA Club World Cup will be scheduled. So until then, uh, we do not know when that's going to happen. But uh, until we get confirmation from FIFA themselves, and we'll pass it along to you. So before we go to the Open Cup, I wanted to pass this along. The gentleman's name that I was talking about, going against Jesse Marsh, is on Twitter. Amitai, A-M-I-T-A-I is his first name. The last name is Winehouse. Now, I don't know if his sister was Amy, who used to sing. But here is the tweet from him, and unfortunately, it doesn't look like you can to him or quote tweet or whatever. Someone I know with more experience of watching Marsh Ball described his New York Red Bulls team as unwatchable. A few weeks back, and buddy, you better believe this is unwatchable. I mean, come on. Who is this person? Now, I'm not trying to be a homer. If I thought that Jesse Marsh did not do the job, then I would say that Jesse Marsh would not have done the job. But he did. Won a regular season championship. Got the club to a U.S. Open Cup final back in 2017. I don't know who this person is. I don't know who this person uh, said that it was unwatchable. But uh, trust me. Trust me. If I do find out who this person is, oh, he'll get a yelling. And for this person who writes for The Athletic in London and covers leads with Phil Hay, you know, understand what he's talking about. I don't understand what he thinks is so unwatchable about Marsh. Marsh built the roster with the Red Bulls here, demanded fitness and and running, tons of running with the press. And everyone did what they had to do. So all I can say is, is this. I'd like to know why you think you believe in this, Mr. Winehouse. Do Why do you believe in Jesse Marsh being unwatchable with what he has? Because right now, those are not Marsh's players. Those are Bielsa's players. And Jesse's trying to do a job. He's done a good job. But there's only so much he can work with. And the hope is he can get the job done in the final week of the Premier League season to get a win and keep leads in the Premier League 
We'll have to watch and wait and see what's going to happen. All right, folks. Time to review the Open Cup in the fourth round. And some pretty interesting scores here uh, in the fourth round with Detroit City losing at home to Louisville City. It was a 1-1 draw through regulation at extra time. But Louisville wins on penalties four goals to two. Here's another match where you have to say is a head-scratcher, not so much with the scoreline, but what happened during the match. How is it possible with Robbie Rogers, excuse me, Robbie Robinson, finding a way to start a fight in the middle of the second half with Jake Dengler from South Georgia Tormenta. And this was Inter-Miami hosting the match. I, I, I don't know. I, I really, really don't know. How is that possible? How is that possible that um, Robbie Robinson, unless he was being defended very closely, how is that possible in a match where Miami is just doing a number on South Georgia Tormenta and he finds a way, finds a way to start a fight? Uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know. And to see that happening on the low angle shot that it happened in was disturbing. I mean, it didn't even look like there was much beef to talk about in the first place. But unfortunately, it happened. Just craziness down at Dry Pink Stadium with a player who's probably, you know, either on the bench or is normally on their, I would say now on their uh, MLS Pro Next roster. So we'll see what happens uh, with him. I don't know if there was any discipline given to him by the Open Cup committee. But once again, uh, it just did not look good. And, uh, you know, you have to really question the situation moving forward and what Robbie Robinson was actually doing there. Um, you know, some great matches here, of course. Union Omaha, two big goals to defeat Northern Colorado. Uh, 2-0, uh, no Meza, Honor Doyle, they put the ball in the back of the net all in the second half. And how do you like this? Sporting Kansas City is hosting FC Dallas. And I have to let my friend Mike Kuhn from the Blue Testament of SB Nation, my good buddy, my days with him at Champion Soccer Radio Network. Mr. Kuhn was already lamenting and feeling bored. Feeling bored. That why is it in these regional draws, and once again, the idea from U.S. Soccer is to keep the draws regional, to give, you know, less travel costs to these clubs. 
So, I mean, he was not happy to see Sporting Kansas City facing another MLS club from the state of Texas. Of course, it's not Austin FC. It's either FC Dallas or the Houston Dynamo. And this time it's FC Dallas coming to Children's Mercy Park. And what does FC Dallas do? Well, they put two goals into the back of the net. Franco Jara in the eighth minute with a little help from the goalkeeper of Sporting Kansas City. And Edwin Munjoma in the 34th minute. And I really thought FC Dallas was going to have a better second half and run away with it, but that did not happen. Nikola Vujnovic pulls one back to make it 2-1. And Sonis, in second half stoppage time, forces extra time, and it's 2-2. And then FC Dallas some ways returns the favor as uh, Cirillo puts the ball in the back of his own net to make it 3-2, sporting Kansas City. Kyrie Shelton makes it 4-2. And FC Dallas gets eliminated, the uh, Open Cup champions of 1997 fall. And Sporting Kansas City is in the fifth round. LAFC taking out the Portland Timbers with two goals. Christian Arango in the 32nd. Mama Dufal in the 54th. And other big matches. Oh, um, FC, excuse me, Charlotte FC on the road to take on the 1995 Open Cup champions, Richmond Kickers. One goal only by Richmond, by uh, Moran. And then Charlotte just completely goes bonkers. The Moran puts Richmond in a slight lead. Well, actually leveling the score. Rios in the 34th minute. Yordani Reyna in the, 30, in the 54th. Mackenzie Gaines, 58th, 61st. And then Andre Shinyashiki. 86 minute, 5-1 Charlotte FC destroying USL opponents left and right is just unbelievable. Um, I want to talk about this match, actually. As we all know, Minnesota United FC hosting Colorado Rapids. Before even halftime whistle was blown. <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> Don Lottie for Minnesota in the eighth minute. Miskeda for the Rapids. Seven minutes later, making it 1-1. We couldn't even get to the halftime whistle. So the match was abandoned. It was going to be uh, restarted the, uh, yet the next day in the afternoon to continue it. Brian Kalman. Second yellow card. Well, got his opening yellow card in the 55th minute. Second yellow. Red followed in the 83rd. Minnesota United down to 10 men. And then Emmanuel Reynoso, four minutes later, makes it 2-1 Minnesota as the 10 men loons take out the Colorado Rapids in surprising fashion, being down a man. 
Nashville SC finally taking care of business. Taking care of business in this matchup against Atlanta United. Big moments here for Nashville, of course, opening their brand new Geodis Park. Atlanta, 2-0 after half. And then Hanny Mukhtar converts a penalty in the 50th minute. CJ Sapong with the equalizer in second half stoppage time. And Ethan Zubak puts it home in the first half of extra time. And Nashville advances. Now, here's a thing that happened in that match that I don't know if any of you were able to watch or see or take a look. Now, once again, passive offsides is the culprit here. And that's what I'm going with at the moment. When you see a player for Nashville setting up in the area and is in an offside position. He is in an offside position to start the play. But as soon as Nashville delivers the ball, at the same time, simultaneously, the, uh, the player for Nashville who is in an offside position to start it does rush back into the scrum. Like when the ball was played, he was back again onside and was not involved in when the ball was delivered. Walker Zimmerman comes in on an, from an onside position, and he puts the ball in with his head to make it, at that time, 2-2. Two, two. Referee picks up his flag and says it's offside. Wiped it out. No VAR in the Open Cup for now. But I have to say this. and I, I really have to say this. I don't know if there's been an amendment in the laws of the game. I don't know if there has been a change in the laws of the game when it comes to that type of situation. But I can definitely say this, and this also happened with the Red Bulls playing against the Chicago Fire at Soldier Field a couple of weeks ago, where Aaron Long was attacking the net. And maybe he was in an in an offside position. But Tom Edwards, who received the ball in an onside position, did not look for Aaron Long. He looked to shoot. Shot the ball on frame, beat the keeper. Should have been a 1-1 score early in the first half. VAR concluded that because of Aaron Long being in an offside position even though he was not involved in the play. Not involved. The ball was nowhere near him. That he was deemed to be offside and that the goal should be wiped out. Shep Messing, the New York Red Bulls analyst and the former goalkeeper of the New York Cosmos, said, that's ridiculous. How can you wipe that out? And all I can say is, how can you wipe that out? Aaron Long's not even involved. Yeah, he's maybe going forward, but he's not on the far side of the pitch. He's along the near side. So, 
unless there's an amendment in the laws of the game from FIFA that we are not aware about, then all I can say is, is that that's the biggest question mark right now. Now, let me go back to how this whole thing got started. And, and I want to tell everyone this story. And some of you may know this, some of you don't, even if you are Red Bulls fans, DC United fans, or if you're just someone that saw the highlight. Before the start of the 2006 season, the New York Red Bulls, which were at the time the Metro Stars, became the New York Red Bulls in that 2006 season. There was a free kick awarded to the New York Red Bulls just outside the area of D.C. Former French international midfielder Yuri Jorkaev took a free kick. Dr. Joe Matchnik, who is a match rules expert official, you've heard him on Fox Sports during MLS, CONCACAF Champions League, CONCACAF Gold Cup broadcasts, talking to the Red Bulls to talk about a brand new situation called passive offside. He said that during the free kicks, you are allowed. And he said at the time that this is something new, that the Red Bulls could have a player or two players, one at each post at the goal. They were allowed to be there in a passive offside position. Now, were they allowed to uh, touch the ball? Probably not. But they were allowed to be the goalposts. And even Tony Miola said it's free-for-all soccer. It's not fair because if that was allowed for the, Metro, for the Red Bulls to do it, it would be allowed for D.C. United to do it as well. And no matter how much the D.C. United players and the fans and even the club protested, at that particular time, for that match, it was allowed. But then after they saw the flaws, then they deemed it to be not allowed. So once again, it would be the culprit of passive offside that in my book wiped out that goal by uh, Walker Zimmerman to at that time level the score. Now, maybe that's not the case, but for now, I'm going along with it until I see uh, an amendment or a rule change in the laws of the game. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. But once again, Nashville does uh, win it in extra time by a final of three goals to two. New England Revolution taking out FC Cincinnati. But by a final of five goals to one after an opening goal by Burrell in the 12th minute. Carlos Heel with a penalty in the 34th. Got his second three minutes later. Adam Buxa in the 47th. Carlos Heel with a hat trick in the 53rd. And, of course, Adam Buxa with a brace in the 57th minute. And so New England is in the fifth round. Um, New York City FC winning three goals 
believe it was three goals to two over Rochester, New York FC. Thiago Andrade in the 23rd minute, Herbert 31st, and Maxime Cheneau in the 76th minute. But once again, another stupid moment in the history of New York City FC. You're up. Your side is up three goals to one. You're playing with a yellow card in Gabriel Pereira. You get booked in the 69th minute, yet you decide to make another silly challenge in second half stoppage time, and you get sent off. Now, obviously, the match is over with. Rochester, New York is not coming back. You're doing, you know, but once again, why are you putting yourself in the situation to be suspended for the next match? Absolutely ridiculous, stupid as it was. I don't know how you can do that. I don't know how you can go out there and say, well, I got the ball. Well, you shouldn't have done that in the first place. You shouldn't have done that in the first place. And once again, you get a man sent off. Now, maybe that man won't be that important in the next matchup in the fifth round. But once again, that's a stupid thing to do. And once again, you just have to question the players. Well, why are you committing a foul like that that is yellow card worthy? There's a time and place when you have to go hard. When you're in second half stoppage time and you have a lead and it's not that dangerous, why are you challenging like that? I don't know. I don't know. Late-minute goal from the Houston Dynamo and Carlos Ferreira in the 82nd minute, defeating San Antonio FC 1-0 in downtown Houston. And how about this? This involved goalkeeper versus goalkeeper in a penalty kick shootout. Seattle Sounders hosting the San Jose Earthquakes at Starfire Sports Complex. San Jose up 1-0 in the 10th minute on a penalty by Jack Skahan. Jimmy Miranda gets the equalizer in the 54th. Uh, Excuse me. Kay Cowell gets the second goal to make it 2-0 for San Jose. Then Jimmy Miranda in the 54th minute to make it 2-1. Freddie Montero levels the match in the 77th. Nothing in extra time. Going to penalties. Each side had a miss. Jackson Ewell in the second round of penalties. Leo Chu in the third round of penalties missed those balls. Everyone going against each other. And then keeper versus keeper. It was Cleveland who missed against Bersano and Bersano who beat Cleveland with authority. And Bersano, my God, the backup goalkeeper for the Earthquakes, how he was able to make some big saves in that first half, late in that first half, to keep the score line 1-0 at the time for the Earthquakes, and he was just sensational. They move on. The CONCACAF Champions League winners are eliminated in open cup competition. Sacramento Republic defeating Phoenix Rising two goals to nil at home. And then California United Strikers, the lone NISA club, had a great goal from Shinya Kadona. To make you 1-0, Dejan Jovalic in the 45th minute levels it. And then the Galaxy once again bury their chances. Owen Lambe and Dejan uh, Jovalic 
80th and 83rd minute, respectively. Even though Kareem uh, Garcia Lopez made it 3-2 in the 87th minute, twitchy bum time, of course. The LA Galaxy held on to win this one three goals to two in advance to the fifth round. And there you have it. Fifth round matches, which will be uh, May 25th in midweek. Everything will be on midweek on Wednesday. Orlando City hosting Inter-Miami. Louisville City hosting Nashville SC. The uh, New York Red Bulls hosting Charlotte FC. New York City FC hosting New England Revolution. Sacramento Republic hosting San Jose Earthquakes. LA Galaxy hosting Los Angeles FC. Sporting Kansas City hosting the Houston Dynamo. And finally, uh, Minnesota United hosting Omaha Union, the lone third division club remaining in this competition, the only two USL championship clubs, which are Louisville City, Sacramento Republic, they are the only two second division clubs remaining in this competition. So we're going to have some fun. We're going to see some wonderful goals and moments in the Open Cup in round five. It should be a doozy, an absolute doozy. I cannot wait for that fifth rounder to happen, and we shall wait and see how this will all play out. Once again, lost my headset there for a moment. Can't have that happen. But as we all know, next this is ESPN's last season with the Open Cup as they will be moving to Bleach Report and Turner to showcase the Open Cup in all rounds and hopefully all the draws. So we'll see what happens moving forward. And we shall see how the Open Cup will be moving to Turner and to see how they will be promoting the Open Cup and doing well with it, hopefully. Now, we move on to the New York Red Bulls segment. As the New York Red Bulls, not only defeating DC United three goals to nil at Audi Field, but also with a big one-all draw at the Philadelphia Union Even though the winning streak is snapped for the New York Red Bulls, the unbeaten streak continues at six. So 16 points right now, all on the road for the New York Red Bulls. So let's go to the Open Cup game first. What a match it was. Obviously, started off a little slow. But in the first half, the New York Red Bulls were the better side, building and building and building until they finally got their opening goal in the uh, first half stoppage time. Great ball from Drew Yearwood to Lukinas, who buried it in the dying moments of first half stoppage time at Audi Field. And then once the restart came, 
John Tolkien from Lukinius found a way to bump that ball, looped it into the back of the net, inside the near post, three minutes after the restart. 2-0 for the Red Bulls. Zach Ryan, 68th minute, found a way to make it 3-0 on a nice tight pass and a tight shot. He just had to just sidestep, and he did so. DC United with a makeshift roster, mostly using Loudoun United players, bench players, backup players, academy players, had some starters in there coming off the bench. But once again, DC United, who normally does take the Open Cup seriously, felt like this time around, because of their surprising coaching change, they decided to uh, not prioritize the Open Cup this year, which is a shame because you want to see if your players uh, do have the ability to go out to play in a very meaningful cup competition. Managers have been, of course, guilty of not taking the Open Cup seriously, but you know what? I think it's a shame that they do that. doesn't matter if it's a new manager or an old manager. Got to take the Open Cup seriously. But anyway, DC United fall 3-0. Red Bulls advance to the fifth round as once again they'll be taking on the expansion side of ML of uh, MLSs in Charlotte FC, so that should be a lot of fun. Uh I personally believe that they will take it seriously and I know that they're going to go out there and they're going to find a way to get the full three points which will, will be played at Montclair State University's soccer park, not at Red Bull Arena due to a already scheduled uh event that has been already been filled a couple of years ago, so nothing you can do about it, but it's okay. MSU Soccer Park, which is for Red Bulls 2, is a very solid and a strong, even though small, uh, capacity-wise stadium, it's okay. Yes, field turf, but that's okay. I think this will be a... Uh, a fun time for the New York Rebels, and we'll see what they'll do against Charlotte FC. But boy, oh boy, did the league match between the Red Bulls and the Union did not disappoint. Did not disappoint at all. Both sides battling out against each other. Solid opening half. Chances galore for both sides. And even though Gazdag was able to slip one in, to make it 1-0, Lukinias again buries it past Andre Blake, looped it over him late in the second half, down 10 men, 1-1, and the share of the points put the Red Bulls in a positive result to take home and get ready for midweek against Chicago. This game had everything. Great attack. Solid defense. I had a little bit of a brouhaha uh, going on. That's what you want to see in a rivalry game. No matter what, it's a rivalry game. We don't know if the club still sees it as not a rivalry, but for me, it's a rivalry. It really is. Anything to do with New York versus Philadelphia, it's a rivalry. It really, really is. 
Phillies versus Mets, Eagles versus Giants, Rangers versus Flyers, Knicks versus uh, 76ers, even the New Jersey teams, Devils and, of course, Brooklyn Nets now, but they were New Jersey. This is a rivalry from this region against the city of brotherly love down south, I-95. Excuse me. This is a rivalry, folks, without a doubt. In four Open Cup matchups, the Union 3-1 and and against the Red Bulls. That is a fact. Twice going to penalties, each side winning one, especially that 2017 run where the Red Bulls had that uh, weird moment where they played the same team three, two times in a league match and then an Open Cup match later on or the other way around. Red Bulls beating New York City FC in the fourth round, 1-0, and then losing to them in the league match a couple of days later. Then, in the fifth round, hosting, the Phil- excuse me, being on the road at the Philadelphia Union, winning that one late 2-0, and then winning it on penalties after a 1-1 draw in regulation extra time, in the fifth round to advance to the quarterfinals. Then, going up to New England, going to Ball, uh, Gillette to defeat the Revolution 2-0 or 2-1. And then going to Harvard University with a Bradley Wright Phillips goal and, of course, New England being sent down to 10 men in the quarterfinals, 1-0, and then that semifinal uh, matchup, winning in extra time, three goals to two against FC Cincinnati. And then, of course, unfortunately losing to Sporting Kansas City in the final two goals to one. But that was a magical run that unfortunately ended without a trophy in the Open Cup that year. So right now, thir- third round, fourth round, third round defeat of uh, they defeated Hartford Athletic two goals to one of USL Championship, defeating DC United three nil in the fourth round, getting ready for the fifth round against Charlotte FC, and then if they win that one, they will host the winner of either New York City FC or. New England Revolution. So for the New York Red Bulls, there is an opportunity to go in deep and have another run to the final. But it all depends on what they do against Charlotte. And if they do defeat Charlotte, do they host New England or do they host their Hudson River rivals? But here's the kicker that I don't think some people are wondering about as we talk about this matchup against the Philadelphia Union. 
The Philadelphia Union rested their starters, most of their starters, in the Open Cup match on the road at Orlando City, lost that match to Orlando 2-1. You rest your players for the big league match against the Red Bulls, and you can't even get a win against the Red Bulls at home. You get a 1-1 draw. That is staggering. It goes to show you the season that the Union are having right now and a lot of head-scratching going on by Jim Curtin. I don't think Jim Curtin's liking what he's seeing. I think he's frustrated, even though they are giving out good performances. But in a match where you're up a man most of the match in the second half, then you get scored on by Luquinias, and your second goal is wiped out by VAR because the attacker was offside who headed the ball in on the cross. Well, you know what? Tough luck, big boys. Tough luck. And that's all you can really say about it. It's just been tough luck for the Philadelphia Union. The Red Bulls, uh, 16 points on the road right now to start the season. We'll see what they do in their next road match. But all you can say is, for the Red Bulls, their road record, there is a goose egg in the loss column. Got to keep it there if you can you got to win your home games now. And now you got to take on a Chicago Fire team that is looking for revenge. And you got to make sure that they are not going to be low-blocking you deep in their area. So we'll have to wait and see what will happen. But once again, it is going to be a big-time matchup on Wednesday, then they go down to South Florida on Sunday, come back home to take on Charlotte FC in the Open Cup fifth round next Wednesday at Montclair State, and then they'll be home the following weekend. Let me just quickly take a look at the schedule, because I forget right now who they're facing next Saturday. And that will be hate D.C. week again. So Chicago this Wednesday night at Miami Sunday. Next Wednesday, Open Cup home match against Charlotte. And next Saturday at Red Bull Arena against D.C. United. It should be interesting. And it should be a lot of fun. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see what's going to happen. I cannot wait to see how the situation will be. So that, my friends, is what is being expected for this New York Red Bulls team for the month of May. Three league matches and an Open Cup fifth rounder. 
It should be exciting and fun as hell. And I cannot wait for it. It's going to be a grand old time. So that will do it for tonight's show. I want to thank my guest tonight, Jeremiah Ocean from Sound at Heart and the top editor of SB Nation Soccer. Join me next week. We're going to try and get some interviews with clubs that are going to prepare themselves for that fifth round matchup in the U.S. Open Cup. So next Monday will be for that. We'll let you know who it is. If not, then we'll try and set something else up as well. It should be exciting and a lot of fun. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Great to be back with you here on the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. Thank you, as always, for listening, and please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care so long, and bye-bye for now.